Welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today with me, I have Lisa Dallenbach, Chief People Officer at The Skim. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for coming today and being on the show. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our Yeah, tell us a little bit about what you do, what you're passionate about, and uh, why you do it. Um, so as you said, I'm the Chief People Officer at The Skim, and it's kind of interesting when I came into the talent part of my career. So my career, the first half was spent on the business and the client side and, and serving and supporting clients. And when, so I didn't go to school for HR and I have my master's in business and I have a liberal arts undergraduate degree. And when I was at Digitas and they asked me to come in and help them build out the New York office and learning and development across North America, um, I said, no. And the reason was because I said, listen, I really love the work of helping build a brand and helping support my clients and be their trusted advisor and set them up for success. And I had an amazing mentor who helped me realize that that is what you do in HR, right? You're just doing it internally. And the brand I'm building, the work I'm doing at The Skim, which is an incredible brand, has an incredible culture. I'm just taking it and adding to it and putting foundational pieces in place that's going to help us as we scale and grow. And I have always, since I've been in the talent roles, I look to my employees as my clients and my customers. And I try to think about what do I need to do to set them up for success? And um, I look at my executive team and my peers as my partners in doing that. Um, And I can't do it without them because they really intrinsically know the business and what we need there. So it's been a nice, um, it's been a nice transition because now I absolutely love um, the work that I'm doing because it's so directly impactful and I can see who I'm affecting and how that is helping both the employees and the talent rise and the organization in tandem. So it's very satisfying and really inspiring at the same time. I love the road that you took too, and how you mentioned, you know, you didn't necessarily go into it at first, but then you just organically landed into a place that you really enjoyed. Yeah. And I think it's an important, um, you know, I tell people this quite a bit. I think it's an important, not lesson, but, you know, sometimes people see something you're going to be good at and you're going to love with a passion before you do. And that's what happened in that case. I was lucky enough to have people around me that said, you know, you keep you keep bringing ideas and things that you want to do here for the organization. Like, why don't you do that full time? And, you know, when you're younger in your career, sometimes you don't think that that's an option or you don't see it. And so some of my advice to when I mentor others is just be open to something that's totally different than you ever planned. That's okay. You know, and I could try this. There was another role I did at Digitas that, um, you know, as a staffing officer, and not only was I not really that good at it, but I really didn't like it. Right. It's all learning. I was like, no, that's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that you mentioned culture, too. Uh, Staff Geek is huge about making sure that there is a core culture in an organization. So what about the Skims culture do you love? Uh, You know what I love about it is that there's two things. Everybody there is so passionate about what we are doing. I've never seen anything. What I mean by that is our mission, which is to be the most impactful brand for millennial women by giving them the information and the agency to make the best decisions for their lives, whatever that means. 
And it's one thing to go to an organization that people love what they do, right? I love to write. I love to code, whatever it is you do. But people here are so wedded to what we are doing for our target audience, which is really incredible. So you have this very natural, just all of us all in it, almost like a large soccer team trying to win our game or whatever sports um, very naturally. And so that's really unique and so special. And then there's something very unique about, I mean, we are predominantly a, we are a female founded organization and we are predominantly female. Um, we have a num fair number of men, but we are predominantly female. And so that culture of support that is just natural to the female gender is something really incredible. So there's just a very collaborative culture there. Um, and if you have that, so think about it, you've got people that are really good at what they do, really wedded and passionate about what we're trying to do as a brand. And we're really supportive of each other. Like that's an amazing winning combination. And then we have a really good time. <laughs> we do it. We have lots of fun. That's important too. And you mentioned uh, when we last spoke that the recruiting process is really, really important as well. And that you have to put a lot of strategy behind that. Could you talk on that a little? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most important things, I mean, any of us now is making sure that people really under, there's two things, like one, people really understand what we offer from an experience perspective and what we're trying to do from a brand perspective. Because in the end, like, if, as I just explained, we have all these people that are really good at what they do and love what we're doing. And you want that for, I don't want someone to come in here and decide like, this is not for me. Like, I don't love what I'm doing and working towards yeah. every day. So making sure we're very clear about that. And that's hard to do. Like, how can you do that before you engage with people? The other thing that's really, I try to be very focused on is I really look at the whole employee life cycle, which goes back to right business strategy. Um, I look at it as a journey and a life cycle. And the first point that a, an employee, a candidate has with us is with our recruiting team, often the most junior person on the team, potentially. Um, someone who's sourcing for the roles. And so making sure that that first connection, it's a first impression, is so rich and deep is really important to me. I mean, I interview personally every single person who sits at that end of that first point in the journey because that is so critical. They may not start the journey with us at all, but they have other people in their network. They may not start the journey with us until, I don't know, maybe next year. They might start the journey right now. Either way, in any scenario, I want to make sure that that first impression wholly envelops our brand and who we are and that they get a feeling of us right from the start. You know, my hope is always that we keep going and we see what happens. And I can talk more about my whole thoughts on the journey later. <laughs> <laughs> and if I mean, if someone has that a bad first impression, even if you know they don't get the job, they're still going to share that experience. So you know, regardless of who you hire or you know if someone is a good fit, I think it's important to always put your best foot forward out as you know a company that's searching for talent. Yeah, and I, I will say our team is amazing. I have so many candidates that say, I can't believe your team really did call me back again. There was a role that didn't work out and they, they will be in touch. They will, they think through like, what are the different places I can, this person's skills might map up or what they're looking for. How can I make that a good fit of just if, um, what's the right word? If just other, like from a culture fit and, and what we want to do, make the skill set doesn't quite align. Um, so they're very good at that. That's really great. What other examples? Um, I love the callback, you know, because not every job is going to be a great fit, but there could be another opportunity that will be a great fit. Um, so what other examples of creating that really good first impression do you do at the skim? 
Um, I think we're very personal. First of all, it's um, we take our time with it. So it's not a rush like, okay, quick, 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 go through the resume. It's really like talk is what you're looking for. What So again, making sure it's the right fit. Like, what do you hope for in your next role? What do you, so we try to make it very personal and what gets challenging and will get challenging is how do you continue to do that when you scale, right? So we aren't that large and we are able to manage our um, recruiting process. We're able to flex it up and down pretty easily. And so I think it's a, a, a fair question or a thing to have our eye on us as talent leaders. Like, how do you, if that's important to us um, from a recruiting perspective and a candidate relationship perspective, how do you then keep that in place when you're all of a sudden 500 or a thousand or 2000? Um, it's, it's how do you prioritize that and do that? I want to talk about the next step is the onboarding process, which needs, you know, close attention to detail and, and needs its own strategy. So how do you welcome new members uh, to the skim? That's so funny. We were talking about onboarding today because we get such rave reviews, um, but I am constantly looking to improve onboarding because to your point, it's so critical, right? So people come in and, you know, listen, they've still got other offers out there. They can go back to get, they're still very hot in the marketplace. And if you don't help set them up for success, I mean, first, you don't do your brand and your business any favor, your team's any favors not doing that. But that, you know, those first few weeks, if you aren't really supporting them well and welcoming them and saying, take your time, this is your moment to onboard, right? And not throw them in with the fire hose and the kitchen sink and everything else. You know, a lot of them will say, hold on, like they've got other offers. The market's hot. They're hot. They can go right back out of here. So for all those reasons, but also just the, the more important long term setting them up for success. So we really encourage them to take their time. We say the first month you are listening. That's it. You're listening. And then we also are very personal. So we have it actually set up very nicely for remote and not remote um, folks, but we do it all entirely remote now. So that even though our office is open again, we want to make sure that that experience is the same for every single new hire. And we're doing that for all of our larger meetings, meaning I don't want there to be like, oh, we're the group that's in the office. We're the new hires that are in the office. You're the group that's not. I want it to be equitable. And same with our large, every Monday we have a large t- whole company meeting. I want it to be the same experience for everybody. So everybody is online for that. So we do that with their first day. And then the whole month is programmed and it's all different um, experts and SMEs around the business that spend an hour teaching them about all the different aspects of the business. So they have a whole month from us that is wrapping around, helping them understand the broader context of right down to time with our founders and understanding the founder's story and the strategy behind the brand. To how does the design team work? What happens over in the engineering team? So what's the voice of the brand? All these different things. And then they have in parallel, they have all the different things that just happen on their team in terms of onboarding. So it's a pretty robust, um, and I do know it's robust from an information perspective and employees I mean, I'm, I'm super proud. I, I shouldn't say that. My team does it. I'm proud of them because we just over and over have accolades how supported people feel. Um, we do an entire um, breakfast every single month. We do shout outs and all sorts of intros the first week on email and Slack. So we really just have a nice steady stream. It's not a one and done forgotten after you get here on the first day. And I think that's key. I think that's key. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, a lot of organizations think that it's like you're here after three months, you should know everything you need to know about an organization. But when you're coming in, 
you know, not having a connection other than, you know, if someone is, is utilizing the skin for their own purposes, there's culture that they have to understand. There's leaders that they need to um, get to know. And it's a whole new environment and that can take some time to getting used to. So that's really great that, you know, you focus on that support and investment because if you invest in onboarding, it just makes the the future uh, experience with that employee smoother. Yeah. I mean, I think most organizations do 90 day check-ins, which we do as well. But I think the most important thing about that check-in is that's at the point, like I think the insight knowing that's at the point where employees, everybody else forgets they're new and they're still new. Actually, it's the worst part because everyone forgets they're new. Now they have all this information and they're not quite engaged enough to like be able to sort it and quite yet be making an impact so it's at the more junior level. But that's when I talk with employees at the 90 day um, that's what I'm checking in on is to say, listen, we know you're new. Sometimes we forget. So remind us we don't mean to. And it's overwhelming at that point. I think it's the worst part. So that's an important one. To and be like, we got you. It's like Lady Gaga the other night at the Academy Awards. Right? I got you. Yes. Yes. Let's all be like Lady Gaga. <laughs> you know, like, how, can, how can we make onboarding and our orientation have the whole feeling of we got you. We got you. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, um, you know, we talked about the onboarding process and uh, I want to get into, you know, how growth is a bubble. Um, and you brought up the bubble concept uh, when we spoke. So, yeah. Could you uh, talk about that? Yeah. So we are busy putting a lot of things in place to make sure that at the skim, it's very clear where people can grow and what they can do. Um, so there is a lot of mobility and growth that does happen, but I want it to be very clear with employees like, hey, here's options for you to grow. At the same time, I want us to step back and say, if you think about your growth as a bubble, right? So most people, all of us, myself included, you really, for the most part, you look at your career as a ladder, right? And you're going to get promoted and move up and do things. And But that's pretty narrow in terms of thinking. And in many organizations, that's predicated on vacancy, right? Somebody leaves promoted or whatever might happen. Um, and what I'm encouraging our employees and I encourage all of us to do just in our thinking is think of growth as a bubble. And if you're in the middle of it, how can I do this? If you're in the middle of it, this is you. And any experience you have is growth. Now, some experiences might be little. So think of like all of a sudden little bubbles populating all around you. Some might be big. Some might be I go work with our team for six months. That's a big experience. Some might be, I just like, I just this week sat in on a meeting because I wanted to understand our response rate and analytics around our text marketing initiative. So that was little growth for me. The more you're adding those bubbles around you and your bubble in its entirety is growing, that's growth. Because if you think about it, if you go internally or externally and you're looking for a role, people will say, oh, what's your, you know, what's your title? Going back over here to the ladder. Awesome. Tell me about it. Tell me your experience. I want, my ultimate goal is that our employees have the biggest bubble and therefore so many experiences to talk about that's truly driving their growth. And sometimes all those little bubbles and things that you do can then inform what happens over here. Maybe that's not the right ladder for you. I have one person right now, I'm watching her and I'm thinking, I think she is better suited in design. That's what she loves to do. So I'm going to talk to her this week um, because she's trying out a couple of different things. Yeah. And that's so important to creativity and growth because, you know, how do you know if you don't like doing something or if you like doing something, if you don't get the opportunity? Right. 
And it's funny because I think people forget sometimes that like growth and especially when you're younger in your career, jobs and what you do, so much of it is understanding what you don't like as much as what you do like. I mean, I thought I wanted to go into communication and PR. Well, so I did this internship at this talent agency in Hollywood. Oh my, no, no, no. I was like, nope, that's not what I, but like, that's helpful. I learned so much of that with me, but I just applied it somewhere else. Yeah, I, I've worked with a lot of interns in my career, and I always tell them that I would rather have them hate the experience than just be neutral about it. Because if they're neutral, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't know what they like, they don't know what they don't like. So yeah, I, I always say like, yeah, it's great if you love it, but it's also great if you hate it because then you can grow from that. There's actually a great um, I wish I can remember the exact title. There's a great Kobe Bryant video about failure. And how he does not believe failure exists. It doesn't exist because it's all learning. It's a great video. You're, and they talk about how he, I think it was like three games in a row, he was taking the last like three shot and he missed it and they didn't win the championship. And the woman's like, really? You don't consider that a failure? He's like, absolutely not. And so it's it's a very powerful video. But yes, to the all mistakes, anything you do, that's learning. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great way to segue into our next topic on leadership, uh, leadership and understanding, you know, the importance of feedback in leadership, uh, because I have a feeling that, you know, leaders, we we have our egos, we, we get told that we're good at stuff. And, you know, it's hard to receive criticism sometimes when when leaders are, are being held up. So what are your thoughts on feedback and criticism in the leadership space? You know what? It's so the I would love us all as leaders to take the word criticism out because it's not right. It's helping us be our best, and it's helping us. I mean, that's the job. You are not gonna. None of us are going to, and nor will we. Each of us be people that are doing it all right a hundred percent of the time, or people that are so amazing you can't be better. And so it's not criticism. It's really, and this gets into a little bit of the player coach mentality, right? It really is about helping you be your best and helping, or maybe another analogy that I do like this one is, you know, if you have a a person, you do not want them to be a puddle. Our job as leaders is to help keep them a nice, steady running stream and help keep them and align them back in. And it's, so it's not about, I mean, yes, it is about like, okay, not so much of this, less of that, but it's not like that's right or that's wrong. It's about how can I keep guiding you in the ways that you can't see because it's you and because I might have more experience in something or whatever the case may be so that you really keep everybody moving along. I run into so many leaders who are like, oh, well, that person didn't do this well. We have to fire them. And I'm like, no, the job of a leader is to help them see what really well would have looked like and help get them there. That's what you don't like. <laughs> and they thought that was an idea. Yeah. And having those conversations where, you know, you give and take the same amount as, you know, the person that you're working with, just, you know, to see each other's views. Um, can you talk about, refer- uh, um, you know, be, had that reciprocal in nature in employee relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're asking, I guess, you know, I just feel the whole concept of, and I'll use the sports analogy again, you know, when you watch basketball games and football games and you see the coach, I mean, they are in there coaching and coaching and changing the direction all the time. And that's ideally how it should be in the workplace. Like I don't want to know and, and, and nor should anybody, I don't want to know about something I should have done differently or better three months later, a year later. That is just, I think most people are on board with that, but like, how do you get in such a fluid place that 
it can be both directions. Like I can, my team and my direct reports be telling me the same thing. Like I need more of this from you. I need less of this from you. That was great. Like, how do you get into that really reciprocal fluid conversation? That's just very natural is really the optimal. Mm-hmm. So as a leader and you, if you see um, someone in your network uh, struggling and when you know that they have the skills to do something, how do you, how do you approach that? Well, it's interesting. I think that's a diagnosis, right? Like, so why does the person not think they can do it? If they've got the skills to do it or to ask around, you know, understand the environment. So if the person has the skills to do it, what are we doing or not doing that is not allowing them to be successful? And sometimes it's something where it's a confidence thing where the person doesn't see it or understand it. But a lot of times it's like, we are not doing what we need to do as an organization or a team or the work to set them up to be successful. So I think it's really important that like you're alluding to, if someone has the skill set and they're not successful, you really got to look at what's going on all around them, not just, oh, well, they're not successful. That doesn't make any sense. Especially if they have been in the past, why all of a sudden are they not here? Or are they in, you know, I do see at times where I think all of us have been victim of, um, you know, promoting people too early, um, putting them in roles they're not quite ready for, um, which I'm a fan of doing, you know, when you see the potential in people, but you got to make sure that you're there to get them there and guide them. You can't just put them there and, and then be like, oh, it's not working, right? You got to keep supporting them in that. Um, I'd love to get your opinion on, you know, work trends today. The great resignation is such a buzz and, you know, it sounds like the skim has really set itself up for, to be a place and culture where people don't necessarily want to resign. Um, so where do you think there's, we're very much at a crossroads right now. So where do you think the, the organizations and business leaders, uh, will succeed and where do you think they won't I think the balance is, and listen, I say this with great humility. Um, I feel like the world continues to change every day. um, And we've struck this balance so far. You have to strike the balance between what the business needs and supporting people. And if there's something you can do to support people that doesn't impact the business negatively, why wouldn't you do it? And that's sort of how we have looked at um, both our hybrid model and different things to support our employees over the last 18 months, two years or so. And that's really been successful for us. I mean, we have a really low attrition rate right now. And in part, I think like even for example, our hybrid model going back to the office, interestingly, when we announced it, we I mean, people flipped out. They were so excited about it, which I thought, wow, I haven't heard that. I mean, we were very thoughtful about it though. We said, you know what? Like, here's the thing. Nobody wants to come in the office on Mondays and nobody wants to be there on Fridays. Everybody leaves early. So why why don't we just not open the office on Mondays at all? Make that the days you're at home doing your heads down work. And then we said, okay, that employees would love. So then we stepped back and said, how does that affect, does it have an impact on the business? Does it not? Maybe it actually helps it, which we found it does. So we constantly do that back and forth. So we're like, that's going to be work really well for the employees and what they need from flexibility in their life. I also think it's really important to look at from a benefits perspective, like to evolve and really understand what do employees need today? So on the extreme end, I think it's interesting those organizations that are doing that here's a bucket of benefit points or dollars and you spend it the way that makes sense for you. I don't 
extreme and I think really interesting, but coming somewhere more conservatively in the middle is like, what do employees need? We implemented this year a very broad childcare support benefit, which it supports people who are either have babies, have toddlers, need childcare, either need care in the home, need to take them somewhere else, want to pay somebody that they already have coming in, need help with tutoring or homework. So it hits the whole range. Like I don't need, for example, for me, I have teenagers. I don't need help with the daycare. I desperately need help with the tutoring and the homework and all that. So putting in those kind of benefits that allow broadly speak to the support of around important topics, but then allow them to individualize what makes sense for them, I think is a really important place to focus um, as an organization going forward for any of us. Yeah. And and do you uh, involve employees in those conversations? How do you survey, um, you know, for what uh, the employees want? Because everyone is is a little different. Uh, You know, you can go based off trends, but you know, getting down to the person is, is where you, I feel like you can succeed. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. So we do do a fair number of pulse surveys. We did a lot of that when we were thinking about the vaccination policy and the hybrid policy to get a sense. Um, I would say as it relates to benefits, we tend to more look just internally at our own data and look at the pyramid. And so that to understand, we have a large, we have a young um, population that is all entering childbearing years. And so how do we support that? We don't have as many that have kids now, but like we can see that coming. So how can we support that? And we have a great partner in Vivi that has been amazing using their data as well to help understand from a benchmarking perspective what people want. So I think finding partners, you know, Vivi has been phenomenal for us that can help you figure out what's right for your organization um, is also really important. I love that, you know, using data and then additionally surveying employees for that anecdotal information. I think that really sets up organizations for success to combine the two. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you do everything the employees ask. But what we've been able to say is like, okay, we asked you, here's what you said, can't do all. Here's where we landed. And you don't make everybody happy. And that's okay. I mean, that's okay. You're not going to. And I think you have to, if you're aiming to make everybody happy, that's not going to be well for the business in my, usually in my opinion. Yeah. Um, this has been such a great conversation and I love your insights about managing people, especially how you've gotten into the passion uh, you've gotten into. And I love an opportunity for you to, um, you know, support or promote what you're working on or offer a way for people to reach out to you. Do it. LinkedIn's probably the easiest. I'm at Lisa Dallenbach. D-A-L-L-E-N-B-A-C-H is probably the easiest. Um, be, would be happy to. Happy to. I can learn from all of you as well. That's awesome. Lisa, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Again, your, your opinions, your thoughts, your experience in the space are so valuable. Um, and I'm so grateful for your, to have you here as a guest. Thanks, Lindsay. Appreciate it. Again, uh, I'm Lindsay Patton host of People Analytics. If you know anyone or if you are someone like Lisa who's really passionate about the people space, feel free to reach out to me, Lindsay, at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. 
if you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.